Hello everyone and welcome once again to Motos and Friends, brought to you by the spectacular Yamaha R7. It's a new generation of super sport machine. My name is Arthur Coldwells. Nick DeSena recently spent the day near Boise, Idaho, riding the all-new Yamaha Tracer 9 GT+. The Tracer has made a name for itself in the last few years as a typically sporting Yamaha, but with a really good touring side to it as well. With the addition of a host of new additions to the model, Nick gives us his thoughts on the new Tracer and where the model fits in the market. Our second feature segment is about the Royal Enfield sponsored Build Train Race program for 12 lady racers. TJ Adams and myself, Arthur Coldwells, joined the program at the Brainerd, Minnesota round of the Moto America Racing Series, where we chat with several of the players involved in this uniquely fascinating program. The individual stories of these ladies is all about the challenges they face and the grit they need to bring out the best in themselves. There can only be one winner on track, but off track, every one of these ladies seems to be a winner in her own right. So. From all of us here at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoyed this episode. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of supersport machine. It's called Our World, and the all-new Yamaha YZF R7 is your gateway. Discover how the YZF R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance. Take a closer look at yamahamotorsports.com or see the YZF R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. The Yamaha Tracer 9 GT Plus. Uh, it's the latest addition to the sport touring family. And, you know, the Tracer 9 lineup and it's been known by a few different names at this point um, in a couple of different iterations. In the United States, we're getting the Tracer 9 GT Plus exclusively. Other markets may see some other variations on that theme, but that's what we're getting, and that's what we reviewed. So this is really Yamaha's flagship sport touring platform, uh, and they've really underscored that flagship premise in probably, I'd say, the past iteration or two. Uh, going back to 21, that's when this bike, at least in my opinion, really hit its stride. We reviewed it a number of years ago up in Washington. I want to say that was the 2018 version. Uh, and that was a great bike. Again, really capitalizing on great value with performance and utility. Just something that a sport touring bike, you know, the, that's sort of the core values, in my opinion, for what makes a, a good sport touring motorcycle. In 2021, the bike gained a lot of electronic advancements riding on the back of the MT-09 platform that was updated in 2020, I believe. Yeah, 2020. Uh, so that received a new engine, updated engine, still a triple cylinder engine, uh, new chassis, much stiffer, much more, uh, we'll say, user-friendly, stable. And then uh, advanced rider rider aids, you know, IMU-based rider aids. That all got transferred and rolled into the Tracer 9, and as we know it, in 2021. So now here we are coming into the 2024 model year, and the Tracer 9 GT Plus 
and how it earns its plus moniker is it's bringing a lot of electronic advancements to the table. It gains a, a radar system that accommodates adaptive cruise control, something that I think a lot of us are becoming more and more familiar with from the automotive side, although this is sort of a new technology that's starting to integrate its way into uh, what I'll characterize as more flagship or premium touring motorcycles. And from there, the radar system has opened up a lot of different advancements and also accommodated kind of full cohesion between the electronic systems when adaptive cruise control is activated. Um, so we still have semi-active suspension by KYB. Um, you know, there's a couple other little tweaks in here, like the seat is you know, slightly redesigned and some other little bits and bobs, but more or less we're getting the same motorcycle that we get in, that we received in 2021 with a whole just slathering of electronic advancements. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So kind of starting at the top, or I should say the front, it received a new radar unit. And obviously that's going to lead into things like adaptive cruise control that we've already mentioned. Now the bike already had semi-active electronic suspension. So that means the suspension adjusts as you're going down the road. Uh, preload is still manually adjustable, the old fashioned way using a set of hand tools but the damping adjusts electronically. And on that end, you have two different uh, preset modes. You have A1 and A2. A1 is a, we'll say, a sportier version of, of kind of a, a theme that, that extends into A2. I wouldn't say that these damping modes are worlds apart. You know, it's not going from like a sport bike to a, you know, a soft, cushy cruiser. There are definitely variations on a theme how they behave differently is, is well, as you kind of move through the stroke in A1, the firmer setting, the damping actually firms up. And so that initial part of the stroke will feel quite relative to A2, especially if you're going slow or not really putting any sort of movement into the chassis, you know, whether you're doing that on the brakes or during acceleration, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, A2 is your comfort mode. And it's a bit softer, whether you're, you know, at the beginning of the stroke or kind of towards the bottom of the stroke. And as I mentioned before, I wouldn't say that these damping modes are worlds apart. What you will notice between them is, you know, as you start riding harder, more aggressively, the A1 mode tends to keep the bike a little bit more neutral, almost as if it's kind of keeping the front end up, say if you're really trailing into a corner, because this, this bike is quite sporty. It really does love to be ridden. And so you will be encouraged to tap into the same sort of, I guess, riding behavior and, and emotions that you would on the MT-09 naked bike, despite the fact that this is a full-fledged sport tour at this point. And kind of keeps the chassis a lot more neutral. Um, whether you like that or not is sort of personal preference. It is a bit firmer. It's just something that, you know, it's a characteristic that you can get used to, but there's still good grip. There's still, you know, good compliance as well. Um, weirdly enough, my personal preference, I just stuck with A2. Even when, you know, in the, the faster bits of the roads that we rode up in Idaho area outside Boise. And I stuck with the quote unquote softer damping mode, although it's not really softer unless you're 
you're going all the way through the suspension stroke. And, you know, in that sense, the only thing you're really giving up is when you're transitioning left to right, right to left, <clears throat> you can introduce just that hint. I mean, an absolute hint of instability at the top of the stroke. How does it handle the preload for things like when you're fully laden with luggage or if you're carrying a passenger with luggage? Preload is still adjustable by hand. So you have a fork adjustment, uh, just a, I want to say it's like a six or a seven socket. Pretty standard way of adjusting stuff for Yamaha, uh, especially on their K KYB uh, suspended motorcycles. On the rear of this bike in particular, you have a remote preload adjuster. And so you can just adjust preload pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, you don't have to deal with a lock and collar or anything like that, which is always appreciated. All right. Okay. That, that makes perfect sense. So, so the two A1 and A, A2 modes are just purely for the damping, as you said, and, uh, and preload yeah. you adjust at the beginning of the ride and you set it for whatever it is, whatever load you're carrying. Yeah. It's, it's not like the BMWs that or we'll say this Harley Davidson and you know some of the other models that that have gold uh, wings and so on yeah yeah, yeah. Sure. that have automatic preload adjustment uh, or ride height adjustment we'll say all right well moving right along you wanted to talk about the electronics yeah and the thing is everything is integrated now on a much deeper level because of the advent of radar so as I mentioned before it received a radar unit I think we all have a basic understanding of what radar does. Just think about how bats uh, navigate the world. And that extends into the IMU supported electronics. So you have adjustable traction control, slide control, wheelie control, all things that are derived from Yamaha's YZF-R1 Superbike. And then kind of trickling down even further, uh, we have an updated braking system. It is now a linked braking system. So whatever input you apply to the front, it will automatically apply some form of input to the rear based on your speed, amount of brake pressure, suspension movement, things of that nature. It's looking at the IMU. All of these systems are communicating at this point. And in a sport touring context, I think linked braking is a good idea because as we know, if you drag a little bit of rear brake into a corner, Often that can help squat the rear and settle the bike just a bit. For sure. um, if we think back to the, the original, or not original, but this generation of the R1, going back to 15, that bike actually came with linked braking systems. The R1 no longer has uh, a linked braking system. And in a sport riding context, racetrack contest context specifically, Linked braking can present some issues. It may over-brake uh, in the rear and create some instability, things like that. And, you know, some riders may may feel that it's a hindrance rather than a, a help in, in that context. However, for the road, I can't argue against it in 99% of the circumstances that the average road rider will face, whether you're riding quickly or not. Uh, the big advantage here is that because all the systems are communicating, uh, radar included, when you're using adaptive cruise control and the radar senses that something is approaching too quickly or you are approaching an object too quickly, it will throw a massive warning up on the dash, say that you need to add input into the brakes and that you need to take control and brake 
And so as you're applying brakes, if the system is able to assist in your braking, it will actually do so. Now, Yamaha is extremely clear that uh, that part of the functionality for its adaptive cruise control is not to be looked at as an emergency braking system, which a lot of cars have now. If you think about how uh, cars, especially at lower speeds, will automatically brake for you and come to a stop, uh, especially you know when you're in stop-and-go traffic, um, it will not work like that. What the bike is doing is measuring the distance from another object and trying to apply brake beyond what the rider would do. So if you think, oh man, I'm braking as hard as I can, and in reality you're using like 60% of the braking power, and the bike realizes that there's more left on the table, and it can do that, it will do that. But that's only if you're using adaptive cruise control. In other circumstances, you're just dealing with the new uh, unified braking system. That's their term. And really just, it's a linked braking system. Uh, that said, uh, Yamaha claims to be the first radar linked uh, unified braking system in the two-wheeled market. At any rate, that's kind of getting into the weeds of the, the adaptive cruise control functionality. And realistically, the, the Tracer 9 GT Plus's adaptive cruise control works almost exactly like every other adaptive cruise control uh, system on the market. You know, in 99% of the, the circumstances that a rider will face, it works as intended. You set your, your following distance to another vehicle, you set your speed, and you just let the bike do its thing. Now, there are some little things that can kind of trip it up, we'll say. If you're riding in really close formation, it may sort of not see something that's kind of just kind of hanging out right on the edge of where its its view would be. Uh, say if you're riding in the typical three, four bike riding position where everyone's staggered, you know. Um, and then, you know, if something, if you're going around corners, you know, say a, a winding sort of freeway situation and there's stuff that's flashing in front of you, but at a good distance from you, and you're never going to make contact with it, it can sort of make the, the adaptive cruise control go, oh, hey, there's something there, and slow down for a second. But honestly, having, you know, driven uh, different trucks that have used this technology from, you know, Chevrolet and Dodge and things like that, and, and seen it in, you know, various rental cars that we've used over the years, it's, it, they're, they all kind of do that. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a clever system that works well when you need to use it and don't confuse it for something it's not as in replacing rider input because it does not at all. So moving on, we've covered adaptive cruise control. Um, and as we mentioned before, it has slide control, wheelie control, yada, yada, yada. Now it, they've also updated the TFT display. Uh, it went from the Groucho or what was that comedian's name? Groucho Marx. Yes, Groucho Marx, the, the glasses and nose. So the 2021 <laughs> bike had this dash. It was sort of a split screen dash. And if you stared at it long enough, it kind of looked like a you know gag Groucho Marx mask. And <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. And <laughs> it always made me uncomfortable talking to Yamaha staff about that because I'm like, man, 
this is really unorthodox design. Um, it was still a TFT display back then. It was full color, but it was pretty basic and not as user intuitive. Now, following that TFT display update, which is far more attractive, far more user-friendly, comes brand new switch gear. Again, they've ditched uh, what I would say was sort of a fiddly little wheel on the right-hand switch gear, and they've gone to a joystick uh, method of exploration the menu or exploring the menus which i find far 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 superior so not only do the switch gear just look better overall i think it's a superior aesthetic design and layout i think the functionality of it is greatly improved so big step up there and that's really tied into that that electronic uh you know step forward that we've been really hammering on with this review um and then, you know, we've mentioned the link breaking thing. I, I think it's a good, good advent in this context. Sport touring, you know, you think about what you're going to be doing on sport touring bike. Okay, so one, I'm going to be doing probably some more aggressive street riding uh, because this bike has a, a personality that's derivative of the MT-09. Um, so it has some chops, right? It's not a vanilla kind of bland sport tour, you know, not to throw a bike under the bus, but I'm going to, um, you know, BMW R1250RS, you know, things of that, that, that very staunchly traditional sport touring type of motorcycle. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's three hots and a cot way to get to sport touring. This is something a little bit more aggressive. Um, right. And I shouldn't, I should quantify that as well. Not aggressive in the sense that it's actually, you know, hard to ride. It's just a lot more fun and spirited. Um, yeah. You know, so we've we've covered the electronic stuff uh, by and large. Oh, there is one other thing: um, the quick shifter. The quick shifter. You know, it had an up down quick shifter before. Now it can be used at any stage in the acceleration or deceleration phase. So, when you're off the gas, you can upshift. When you're on the gas, you can upshift. Likewise, when you're on the gas, you can downshift, and when you're really? off the gas, you can downshift. And that behavior wow. works. The way that superbike quick shifters work because if you think you're, you're at a racetrack there are points where you may need to do some of those things while being on or off the throttle say if you're yes you're trailing into a corner or you're just rolling off and you're so you're not quite off the gas think of like yep uh what's that one corner at sepang where they have to shift like way deep into it uh, you'll know the one i'm talking about i don't know the name of it but it's like yeah this long right-hand sweeper and they're grabbing a downshift just before they get to the apex and yank the bike over, but they've been on the side of the tire for like a second and a half at this point. Yeah. Um, there are weird situations on the racetrack where sometimes these can, things can happen now. Well, it also, it also happens on the street as well. Definitely. Yeah. There are plenty of times where I'm on the gas and I need to downshift. Um, and I and it would be awkward to close the, to close the throttle at that point. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, main example there is you're on the freeway. You need to get out of a tricky situation. Instead of wasting time closing the throttle, downshifting, getting back right. on the gas, you just drop a gear and disappear, as them boys in the in the sandals and tank tops say on them booses. But, <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. there's definitely definitely lots of situations where 
where you don't want to shift gear with either a closed or sort of wide open throttle. So the fact that they've they've addressed that is impressive. That's great. Yeah. And on that end, the quick shifter works pre pretty flawlessly, in my opinion. Um, usually we kind of whine and bemoan little algorithmic, you know, smoothing issues in quick shifting. But at this point, I think they got it right. I would say that the gearbox itself, if you isolate it from the, you know, those two shifting uh, procedures, it can be a little notchy at times. Um, I don't have an explanation for that. That's just kind of the way it is. Um, it's not a bad gearbox by any stretch of the imagination. You know, don't take that as me saying that it sucks. Don't try to read between the lines. <laughs> it can be notchy sometimes. And it was sort of sporadic. So okay. I would need to do more more miles on it and just sit there and try to repeat it and see, and see maybe it's a gear ratio thing to RPM thing. I don't know. Whatever. It might just need breaking in. Um, TJ has an XSR 900, um, you know, the retro styled 900, which has essentially got the same engine or I suppose the predecessor engine. But the gearbox on that is absolutely smooth as butter. It's really good. Well, yeah, that's that's the same exact engine that's going on here. The um, the only difference is one, this bike is uh, heavier. Two, it has a uh, actually no, it has the XSR nine hundred swing arm, uh, the longer swing arm. So you know, there's probably some other variables in play because we're talking about a heavier bike with wind drag and blah 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 blah. Anyway, so whatever your gearbox is, it's fine. Good it works. It's cool. And the quick shift is nice. Okay, good. Yeah. So whatever. Moving on. Um, you know, they I do got to backtrack on one thing. They did update their naming conventions for rider modes. If you think back to early FZ09 and then MT09, first it was it was like A standard and B. Then it was one, two, three, four. So they went from alphabets to numeric now we're just to words um so we have yeah. sport street rain custom and really did they just corral your electronic settings the way that it works on pretty much any other bike at this point uh your custom mode is self-explanatory a street kind of the happy medium uh it's more than suitable for a sports touring platform sport i would say it starts really sniffing in that mt09 direction without going all the way there and there's just a hint of abruptness off that initial throttle crack. And that's something that I do bring up because if we think to 2015, 2016, 2017, even coming into some more recent iterations of MT09, um, the throttle was not good. The ride by wire throttle was extremely aggressive. You know, think back to that 15 R1 in the A mode. That was that was pretty snatchy. And when the 2020 MT09 came out, that fixed that problem in a big way. So they really, you know, Yamaha really improved their ride-by-wire throttle management strategies by a huge margin. Um, and, you know, there's still just that extra last little, maybe some tiny bit of work to do there, but it's like, if someone were to say, oh, it's, it's, you know, they're still having issues like the old MT09s. Yeah. It's not like that at all. Like it's not even in the same conversation. So don't confuse that. I actually really like the sport map. 
it's just that that tiny twinge is still there. Now, we've already touched on the semi-active suspension. I think it's good stuff. Uh, you don't have the same kind of adjustment that you would on some of the Owens systems that are out there. But in a sport touring context, I'm kind of, I, I don't know if I care entirely because we still have preload adjustment. We can still fine tune things and customize them for ride quality and things like that um, as needed. For me, I think they work really well. Uh, so, you know, I'm in that 180 pound zone. You add some gear, um, then you're, you're, up there in the 200s just for rider weight you start throwing on you know uh, stuff in the luggage you can you can pack on some pounds pretty easily but the suspension works nicely so that ties us into the chassis and then as we mentioned you know multiple times already this is derived from the current gen mt09 platform which has a much stiffer aluminum frame and the swing arm is now mounted between the spars so inside the frame spars which adds rigidity to that that frame as well uh you know and that just allows the bike to handle with much more confidence especially on the side of the tire so you're not just getting frame flex it's not wallowing none of that now the 2021 bike you know if you're looking for uh comparisons between the two handling is pretty much the same as it ever was you know, it's very sporty. It feels much lighter than it actually is. Wet weight is just shy of 500 pounds. And, you know, that's actually the lightest in class when you think about a sport tour. So, you know, going from the MT-09, which is on the lower end of the 400 pound spectrum, this thing has gained a lot of stuff. One, it has bags, it has a, uh, a different subframe, to accommodate the bags and, and you know has a much higher payload weight then we have the fairings uh cornering headlights blah 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 but you know we're it has a lot of stuff on there and it's only gains you know like 80 something pounds when it's all said and done uh, it also carries more fuel so you know but that said it has that that energetic athletic athleticism that you'd find in an mt09 naked bike so that's what I really liked about it. You know, the thing wants to be ridden. You can chuck it on the edge of the tire and trust it. And you're just going to grind through the peg feelers and get rid of those. So, you know, that's cool. And and that's sort of the, the exciting thing about this bike is that it, it does tap into that more youthful MT-09 energy. That really comes across between what I'd say is good parity between the chassis and that 890cc triple cylinder engine. You know, the engine's just kind of fun loving it's exciting the bottom end especially in this in this sort of sport touring uh iteration it's a little bit soft and we could say the same thing for the mt09 and the xsr 900 the bottom end is soft it's a very smooth engine but you know it just doesn't have that raw punch right off the bottom end you kind of got to spin it up get into the mid-range get those pistons pumping and then then you get some really good bite. And then of course it has all that, that fun top end without really going over the top. It's not the type of engine that's going to overwhelm anyone that has a bit of time, you know, under their belt in terms of uh, riding experience. Um, so it doesn't go to the excesses of say like a Kawasaki, uh, sorry, Kawasaki H2 SX SE plus, you know, the supercharged sport tour or, you know, a KTM super Duke GT that massive, you know, 1300 V twin, you know, your multi-strata, just these 
crazy high horsepower sports touring things, which are kind of a different animal completely. This still falls in that quote unquote middleweight category, despite it being 890 cc's. Um, that said, you know, this, this engine's great, uh, you know, and, and really made some big steps in, in refinement when it came into this current generation. Uh, you know, just the, the, the in, in, internals were completely overhauled. Things are much smoother. It spins up much smoother, but it still has that sort of punk rock attitude that the MT-09 always had, or FC-09, if you live in the United States. So, you know, that's kind of the engine in, in a nutshell. And you take it together and you look at everything that's going on with this bike and you go, man, you know, at, you know, 164999, it has features that are usually relegated to those premium motorcycles, you know, coming from European brands, a la Ducati, BMW, et cetera, et cetera. And those bikes typically carry a pretty hefty premium. Yeah, it's a really high spec bike for a very modest price, I would say. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple minor little things to to harp on, but that said, you you look at at what you get with it. And so it really leans into the touring stuff because with a GT plus, you know, it has the 30 liter hard cases. Uh, they fit a full face helmet or at least a medium full face helmet. In my case it has a center stand, uh, led lighting all around with cornering headlights. You have hand guards, you have the adjustable windscreen, uh, you know, seating position is same as ever was. It's a very comfortable seating position. And on that note, everything is, is adjustable. So you have adjustable seat. It can go up, um, uh, over like a half inch or so you have two position handlebar uh, so there's a tall and a low setting and then the rear sets are adjustable up and back so you have a two position rear set as well and that was that's you know the the rear set features is that's stuff that we used to see in like the, the early to mid 2000s on a lot of different sport bikes and then it sort of went away like that that's a feature that really needs to be on every bike in my opinion, and manufacturers kind of like got into it, like, oh, we're going to do this. And then they just didn't. And so I, I would like to see that come back. And I love that it's on the MT09s and on this bike and in the XSR 900, things like that. So I think that's really, really good idea. So, you know, you take everything together and you, you look at the comfort of it, which it is a comfortable motorcycle. I think the seat could be even more plush, even though they've made it a little more plush this year. Um, and you look at the grand scheme of the sport touring category, you know, middleweights into the leader bikes and the thing, honestly, you know, without doing a full comparison story, you just look at the, on the page features. This is probably, if not the best value in the greater sport touring market at this time. Now, whether it's a top performer that requires a little more investigation, but based on my experiences so far, you know, I would say that, that it is a top performer. Is it the best of the best? Well, we'll let a comparison story decide that. However, overall, I was super impressed with the 2024 Tracer 9 GT Plus, and it really just builds on the strengths of what we saw in 21. You know, it came out swinging with advanced electronics, the new MT-09 engine, the new MT-09 chassis, semi-active suspension, et cetera, et cetera, all wrapped up in a sport touring bow. And that was not a bad motorcycle at all. In fact, it gained quite a bit of praise from us and basically every other publication. Um, this really just 
you know, keeps pounding its chest on, on those, those strength um, characteristics that we've already mentioned. And, you know, it's about $1,600 more than the previous gen bike. And you also get what I would equate to as a lot more than $1,600 worth of electronic stuff. So that's the, the bike in a nutshell. And uh, yeah, that's where we stand as of now. They've put touring, you know, attributes to an already very evolved platform. So I really can't see why they could, where they could go wrong, really. It's, uh, it looks like a really, really good, mature bike uh, that, that is going to fill a nice sort of patch in the market, as you say, for, for people who've got a bit more sport in them than touring, um, you can cover a lot of distance and still have a lot of fun if you get to get to some twisty roads. So I don't know, it seems like a really well evolved, evolved idea and motorcycle. So great. Yeah. And there's also the commuting aspect too. I mean, the sport tour and the commuter are, I don't want to say one in the same buyer, but they are a fairly similar breed of, of motorcyclists. That's, that's a good so, point. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, you know, there's a lot of utility baked in a sport touring motorcycle that applies to the average everyday commuter. So, you know, a lot of these bikes need to be do it all motorcycles and, you know, I, I think they've really done a good job here. So that's great. Okay. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate all the input. And uh, as always, and uh, yeah, talk to you again soon. Yep. Talk soon. Our second feature segment is about the Royal Enfield sponsored Build Train Race program for 12 lady racers. TJ Adams and myself, Arthur Coldwells, join the program at the Brainerd, Minnesota round of the Moto America Racing Series, where we chat with several of the players involved in this uniquely fascinating program. The individual stories of these ladies is all about the challenges they face and the grit they need to bring out the best in themselves. There can only be one winner on track, but off track, every one of these ladies seems to be a winner in her own right. Schuberth Helmets, head protection technology made in Germany. The new Schuberth E2 launches this month. It's like a C5 with a new peak visor, increased ventilation with a new chin air intake, and a larger rear exhaust boiler. It's got the same features of the C5, including a revised fit with customizable inner pads for comfort, Increased safety with new EPS material and anti-roll-off system. And it's pre-wired for the new SC2 communication system offering mesh by Senna. It's also got a locking mechanism to hold your chin bar open. Learn more about all the new features at shoeberth.com. The new Shoeberth E2. Endless adventure. The Build Train Race program is a Royal Enfield limited racing series that started in 2020. It had a modest beginning, but in 2023, the idea has really started to take off. Three-time Grand Prix world champion Freddie Spencer takes up the story. When I got involved at the end of last year, they, they came to me to bring a little more to the, to the training part, the racing part, and, and the structure of it. One of the things that I was I was most impressed with during the, the process of, of uh, finding the ladies for this year's program 
out of the 90 applicants was enthusiasm to learn to build the bikes, the hands-on part of it. You've seen that increase in interest over the last few years. The modern bikes are amazing. They're amazing in, in how reliable they are, how impressive they are electronics, but you don't really get many people that can work on them with electronics and just the complexity that they are. And so the Royal Enfield bike kind of takes people back to more of a individual, hands-on crafting, so to speak, of making something very personal. You know, one of the issues that we've had is, is some shifting in racing trim. So we, we worked on a, uh, an improvement with that with a detent spring. Well, the mechanics that we have, they, they then sit down with the ladies and, and basically uh, go through showing them, and then they do it themselves. You know, they learn to, to, to make the, the changes, to understand what the improvements will do, how it will help them. I take them through the process of how it helps them on the racetrack. And that together, you just see this, this light bulbs go off and this, this amazing accomplishment. And so for me personally, that, that's a lot of what this is. It's uh, an individual accomplishment, um, and it's, that's why it's called Build, Train, Race. When we began the build process, uh, which was we, in our workshop in Dallas, um, you know, we have all the parts and then basically take them through the, the, the how to learn to be a mechanic. So it's, it's, it's not just working on the bike, but the process of working on the bike. Uh, to do things in a certain order, to do things the right way, to to deal with uh, issues that come up. Like I said, as we've as we've had, and you know, as uh, every weekend, we're making suspension adjustments, improving that uh, the same thing, and learning how the suspension works. We have Olean's, one of our sponsors, which we appreciate, come in and the engineer took took everybody through and 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 how everything works, and then they can make their own decisions. The racing takes place within the 10-round National Moto America Racing Series, although the BTR program only competes at four of the rounds. There is also a BTR flat track version, and that has five rounds within the 2023 flat track schedule, and there's also a Brazil flat track series too. The program is not without its skeptics, of course, as the races are far from equal in terms of skill and experience on the track, so naturally the racing is kind of spread out. So the racing isn't particularly close and the machines themselves are not particularly fast. However, as the title says, there are other factors to the program that make it interesting. And if we can just put our racing purist hats to one side for a minute, it's easy to see why this series has gathered so much interest. And from many, dare I say most, enthusiasts, there has been praise for the idea. Seeing the empowerment of these young women as they develop their skills is really inspiring. The camaraderie, the support, and the sheer fun that they're having can only be a positive for the sport and for motorcycling in general. Bottom line is, is if you don't like the racing, huh, nobody's forcing you to watch it. But ultimately, this has to be a positive for the sport. The 12 participants are handpicked by a panel of judges and potential candidates undergo a thorough vetting process. Build Train Race Coordinator Manager Alexandra Catty is involved in the selection of the racers. We'll go through the list, we have 12 riders and you will see it's a very eclectic group of different personalities, different ages, different parts of the United States um, and different 
jobs, works and occupations in their day-to-day -day life when they're not racing. Have they all ridden motorcycles before? Yes, yes. They're not professional racers, but yes, they have some experience, some more, some less. They all do track days, uh, some some more or less raced before, but just uh, in amateur racing, club racing and things like that. How many ladies have we got here? We have 12 riders. How have they picked up putting their own motorcycles together? Oh, very quick. I mean, very quick. Uh, once again, as we were saying at the beginning, they're, they're not professional racers because it's not what, what the program is about, but uh, they needed to have at least a minimum uh, knowledge on how to build a bike because we have three professional racing uh, mechanics that are here to help, not to do the job. They have to figure it out. They are from, I mean, I, from everything to how to swap an engine, how uh, to put the oil, how to swap the, the tires, how to do absolutely everything from ele electronics, electrical, absolutely everything, and they're awesome. Butch Bolin is a childhood friend of Freddie Spencer, and he is the third member of the BTR management team. You know, uh, they're very competitive. Uh, obviously, uh, we, we've had minimal drama. It's it's been great, and uh, you know we, we've got this weekend, and then we got another week event. And when this is over, and 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 we move on with the team, and and I'm really going to miss these girls. It's just been such uh, such an opportunity, and met so many nice people, and and not just this team, but with within Moto America and, and the series. It's just been wonderful. Yeah, it's amazing how humans like this can get together and have such a great companionship and be colleagues with each other but at the end of the day one person is going to win yeah it is it's uh michaela's been uh been our as i call her our jackrabbit she jumps out front and then and, and she leads and and it's just been uh, uh some really good battles within the field but you know and michaela is the youngest competitor i understand yes she is she's uh, 19 i believe yeah Butch is referring to Michaela Moore, and to say that Michaela has dominated the series I think would be an understatement. In fact, I believe Michaela has literally led every single lap. She did win all four of the races, so she's a very impressive young lady and quite the talent. So my background is mini moto. I started on a TTR 50 and then I worked my way up to a CR 100, um, a KX 65, and then when I was 12 years old, I got introduced to the Big Bites, which was a Ninja 250. Um, and then from there, I started my my club racing around, I believe, 2018. So that's quite a bit of sort of racing experience from quite young. Do you feel you've learned anything completely different by being on this program? Um, of course, you know, because in racing and, and, and also in life, you learn a lot and you're always learning something. Um, joining this program, I knew that I would, be, I would have to learn a totally different bike. I come from a Ninja 400. Um, so riding the, in, riding the role infield, I thought maybe it was going to be a little challenge, but it actually wasn't. Um, in my opinion, I feel like it's similar to the Ninja 400 as far as feel. What I'm really learning is like the characteristics of the bikes. I'm learning the Dunlop tires as it's my first year on Dunlops and, of course, learning the tracks as well. The Continental GT650, do you find it's uh, difficult or quite a forgiving bike to ride? Um, you know, with me riding different bikes, I feel like this is one of, it's like a 400 I was saying before, it's pretty easy to ride. Um, it's not, you know, it's pretty straightforward, you know, nothing, it, you know, you can kind of make a mistake and have a little bit of time because it doesn't have as much power to, you know, make up for your mistake. 
But I mean, that's what I appreciate about it. It's you know, it's fun bike to ride, and I'm just happy that I'm riding Royal Enfield. Have you ridden with these Dunlop Q5s before? Um, so this will be my first year um, on the Dunlop Q5s. I'm used to riding, you know, Pirelli or Michelin's. Um, so riding these tires, um, I actually like them because they give me a lot of feedback. So I always know what the tire is doing. So um, with that, it helps with my racecraft because I know that if I push too hard, the tire will let me know instead of not, you know, feeling anything at all um, and not sure what the bike is doing. And is it easy during this program to go and ask for help? Do you find it's, there's plenty of time to go and ask them for sort of input? Um, of course, I'm always asking the mechanics for input. Um, but for the most part, I can pretty much do anything on my own. Um, for the first part of the program was building, and on a day-to-day -day basis, I work in my dad's shop. So I'm pretty familiar with, you know, making changes done, you know, making changes necessary for a bike. Um, I mean, I did learn how to put a clutch spring or a detent spring in the clutch, and then we did our valve adjustment. So I was happy to learn that, you know. Jessica Martin has a slightly different take on the BTR program. For her, it's about a little bit more than just the racing. Some of the things that I really, really appreciate about the program is just the time that we're spending together and learning things together. Um, I think it's really cool to be able to see not only the, your own personal challenges, but other people's challenges, and as we all work through them together and individually, and kind of seeing that growth um, is really to me is more even more exciting sometimes than the racing part of it but just building those relationships on the team um, getting the confidence so sometimes a lot of us may have done things in the past have had help and encouragement but now we've really gotten the opportunity to kind of be the person that does it you know they kind of oversee us but we're really the ones that are getting our hands in there and doing it and then it just builds that confidence like it for me personally it's like there's things I've never thought I would want to try, like electrical stuff or getting inside of the motor. It's just, I've always had someone to kind of go behind me and, or like step in and intervene. And really in this opportunity, we do it and we work through those challenges. And then the guys just kind of give us a thumbs up at the end and say, okay, yeah, you did a good job or whatever. Or they see something, they will like walk us through it, but they don't just jump in and take over, you know? And for me, that's like, that's a big thing. It's really helped my confidence in that. All of the ladies seem just very comfortable with the mechanicing side of things. And I think a lot of the thanks for that does go to Brian Robertson and his fellow mechanics. Well, a lot of it is just explaining things in terms they can understand, right? Um, a lot of the ladies in our program have a very diverse knowledge of motorcycles. Some actually work in motorcycle shops, and some have never turned a wrench in the past at all. And so we sit down one-on-one -on -one and kind of explain things, show exactly what we're doing along the process. Um, and they're very smart. They pick it up pretty quickly. Have you had some silly questions? Yes, absolutely. Um, and what's interesting is usually when we get those questions, we end up with explaining the answer and then they go, ah, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, some things are obvious once, once you're told. You often don't have the confidence to believe that you've got the right answer exactly. within you. Yeah. No, they oftentimes have the, have the knowledge they need. Um, they just need a little reassurance sometimes. So you do sort of classroom work as it were and then you start on the actual machines. Do they start working on their own bikes straight away? Yeah, so the idea in the program is that they're the lead mechanic on their own motorcycle, which means that they do 90% of the work and we do 10. Um, the idea for us is to make sure that they're doing the steps properly and that the bike when it leaves the pits and goes out on track is safe to ride. That's the ultimate goal in the Vatic for us. And do you find they're quite surprised at things they've discovered? Absolutely, yeah. Um, we come over all the time and say, 
hey, will you check this? And they go, oh, it's already on my list. I'm going to take care of that shortly when I'm done with this. So they're, they're uh, oftentimes right with us or maybe even a step ahead. That's fantastic. I feel like having a go myself. I must admit, it's really interesting to see inside the bones of the bike that's going to go on the track. Absolutely. Um, you know, when we did the build part of this program, um, we were able to go step by step through the motorcycle and we printed off a few sheets that we gave the ladies that said, hey, here are the things they need to keep track of. Um, and it ended up very, uh, very good for us in the end of the day, because like I said, they're usually right with us or a step ahead because we were able to go through things so quickly during the build um, and really get them to understand the machines. And, uh, you know, they, they stuck with it. They've done a great job. So can you tell us about the machines, what they are? So these are Royal Enfield Continental GT650s. Um, they're a parallel twin engine. They're 650 cc's. Um, they're fuel injected. And uh, yeah, they're really cool machines. They're more like a cafe racer. You know, the technology in them is, um, is very simple, which is nice, makes them very reliable. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, adjustability with some of the parts that we got from a lot of our sponsors. And so the bikes aren't exactly the street model, um, but they perform really well on the track when they get a little bit of setup in them. Right, so they are actually race bikes, sort of they have the, excuse my silly question, upside down gears? Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of these bikes are running what we call the GP shift pattern, which is, uh, you know, one up and five down instead of one down and five up. Not a lot of people know that. Yeah, exactly. No, not a lot of people know that. And so it, uh, it ends up um, very much like the newer bikes that we ride because we can adjust those type of things. Some of the riders will run standard shift. Um, we have adjustable Olin's forks and adjustable Olin's shocks on these bikes. Um, we've got good Oxado brake calipers and master cylinders on them. And so um, there's a few things that have been upgraded from the factory, but the bikes uh, perform very, very well. And what tires are we racing here? So this year we're using Dunlop Q5s. Um, the Dunlop Q5 is a great tire. We've we've actually shown that these bikes can go several outings on the track without destroying a tire. Um, they heat up very well. They've got lots of grip. Some of the ladies from last year ran slicks and have said this year that they can't really tell the difference between last year's slicks and this year's Q5s. Interesting. And they've the ladies have also done individual paint work and customization for the looks yeah yeah um they they have royal infield as a graphic designer and so they were able to sit down with the graphic designer and get their own colors and their own scheme um and some of them are dramatically different from each other uh it creates a really cool contrast under the under the canopy here so a couple of the ladies have been really quite experienced certainly in terms of racing and riding and as mechanics too Somebody like Lauren Prince, for instance, she's a veterinarian by day, so she has really no experience at all with the mechanic side of things, and she's only been riding a motorcycle for two years. What made you start riding motorcycles? I was in my 30s, and I was like, I've done all these things for myself. Why haven't I ever done this? Like, what would I possibly be waiting for? Right. Um, Right, good for you. And yeah, so what I was saying and it was just represented mobility and just independence and I all those good it, things. It always had connected for me. Like right. it sounds so cheesy, and and I feel like I'm just exposing myself to ridicule. But like, I felt like the bike was the last step of becoming a motorcyclist. Like I already had aspects of the ethos because I already right. traveled on my own. I already kind of did what I wanted. Right. I always already was very independent. But so did it live up to expectations? Or? Clearly. Or have you been just horribly disappointed oh, by the whole thing? Oh, I know, thing? yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, it has blown away any conception of what I thought motorcycles 
would right. be. I knew right. that there was magic and something special there and something that connected people globally. Because actually the first time I rode two motorized wheels was in Thailand, which is a whole other story. Okay. Um, but seeing the camaraderie that came from that and like my uncle who loved it and even though I remember him having a broken leg when I was a kid and going through a horrible <laughs> depression for eight months like because he couldn't move his leg like he got on the bike as soon as he could and like right. and he, he's someone I really esteemed and he always said ride like the wind and so I have I'm just blown away by the people in the community and how much people support each it's other it's definitely a special link isn't there and motorcycling is a great level that's why I always felt yeah. Yeah. it doesn't matter what age you are, what disparity yeah. there are, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. I mean, no, none of us know any of that stuff. I, I can get very esoteric and existential <laughs> right. about motorcycles, but I just, you know, from the gate, I, I feel like I got so lucky and fell in with incredible people, but then you just keep meeting more people in motorcycle and they're more incredible people. I don't know that my experience yeah. was unique and that I met no, tremendously supportive no. women. I think as I came with women, came up with women motorcyclists. Right. Um, and didn't have to prove myself in that way. Um, but yeah. The motorcycle people in general are just really supportive and, yeah. and it's great. And everybody, basically everybody likes making the whole concept, the whole sport right. bigger. Right. We like to have more people riding motorcycles. Feeling of it, just yeah. for themselves. Even if you're, yeah, you know, if you never go on a group ride or anything, just to we be able do. to have that feeling. And I, I, love leaps of faith and powering people and I want folks to believe in themselves and so motorcycles are a great tool for that. They right? really are. And then so fast forward all of a sudden within two <laughs> years. Not that far. <laughs> one of the one of the two years later you're like one of the fastest girls in the paddock here. I would not say that yet. I have not had well, the results just, to bear out. Well didn't you just finish like second in qualifying yeah. or something? It wasn't qualifying but practice. Well yeah. in practice. Yeah. I'm sorry, in my book, that makes you one of the fastest girls out there. Thank you. I mean, yes, there are numbers. Sorry, math is not my strong point, but two out of twelve. I want to. I want to see. It, I want to see it translate to tomorrow on, the race. on race days. Okay. Yeah, I. It's been a where learning have you been, Where have you been finishing in the races up till now? Like, I don't even know which position are I've you been in. You in like the top ten, the top. Well, like, there's five. twelve racers. So. Right. Okay. <laughs> like, Fifth, six, typically, I think. Uh, okay. Yeah, I crashed. So in the top half? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do you feel that you've learned a lot, you know, doing this? Presumably, you've developed your skills a lot, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I think I won't, I won't know till it's done, in a way. Like, I know I'm learning, but I don't, I'm trying to sponge so much that I don't feel like I have the capacity to have reflection on that yet. But it is just... It's all a bit of an adrenaline-fueled, you know, adventure, I suppose. Everything's it? new. <laughs> I'd never, I'd replaced a rear tire before this, so that part <laughs> right. is daunting, and I yeah. do not feel like I've hit my stride mechanically. And there's a whole ton of people out there that are thinking, okay, so they're all crazy. You know, why on earth would you do that? Why on earth would Everyone you take that? Everyone says that about every motorcycle, right? I, well, they do, but this has got to be the extreme end of that. This is not just riding a motorcycle. This is building something yourself and then having the nerve to actually go out and He's compete on track. Have you reached a point at any point where you just felt like you'd bitten off more than you could chew or you didn't, you're like, oh, I can't keep doing this or? Professionally, I've had a lot of demands and I, I stepped up a lot of my responsibilities concurrently with entering this program. And so one of the things like Freddie and Scott had asked uh, in the interview, it was like, what do you think it would be like? Or what, I think it was like, what would you do to be ready? And I was like, I just, I want to be as present as possible. And okay. I'm finding it just, 
my professional responsibilities and the pressure in that environment. Um, what do you do for what do you? I'm a veterinarian. Oh, veterinarian. Yeah, okay, great. doctor of veterinary medicine. Okay, wow. <laughs> and so it, the intensity. I don't have a break from intensity, and that part's right. been challenging. And okay. and I want to be able to show up better in this environment than I feel like I've been able to, just because that sort of off track management is right. huge. Yep. And having the bandwidth to think through things or problem solve or study the track or source parts or go out and ride tracks and do training, like I just haven't been able to. I've just been trying to keep my head up, and so. Right. Been working really hard when I'm not here to be able to be here and shut the rest of that out. Okay. But that's that's something I would certainly. But it's again, it's taught you a lot, and you yeah. clearly you've got the right attitude. So I think that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Well. At the end of the day, everything in life comes down to attitude, doesn't it? Really? I, yeah, perspective. I think is is a huge part of it too, and and making the choices that feel aligned with who you want to be and yeah. where you want to be. Yeah. Um, and that. I'd say in that sense, there's been a lot of learning as well. Where you guys ride these bikes, I was expecting to see, you know, I mean, with all due respect, a bunch of novices kind of wobbling their way around. And I'm like looking on that, I'm like, it's stepped up. going fast. It's I mean, stepped up a good. lot this year. You guys are really, you know how to ride. Yeah. You guys are doing great. I think Junior Cup was running like right around two minutes. I think I did two minutes this morning. And the fact that I'm running a pace, with the junior cup bikes. One a 650 twin that puts out, you know. 47 horsepower. I mean, it's actually horsepower. pretty equivalent to the 400 in terms of horsepower, right. but the power delivery is different. And it's a lot heavier. It's a lot heavier. A lot heavier. And it doesn't turn nearly I haven't quickly. ridden one of these, but I've ridden the street version. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you've got to kind of wring its neck. It takes some work. I mean, it you have to override work. the bike. And you have to keep the keep your corner speed going. Yeah. You've got to get the right line and you've got to stay on it. Yeah. But I mean, the skill here has stepped up incredibly. Yeah. This is Hannah Stockton's second year in the class, and indeed, she's only been riding for two years in total. She finished at the back of the field, and at one point she was even questioning whether she should be here or not. However, the camaraderie and encouragement from the other ladies kept her going, and this year she has shown dramatic improvement. Absolutely love it. This is my second season. Okay. Um, I just started racing when I started with Royal Enfield. I got my license for Royal Enfield. I'd only been riding on the track for one season and I've been riding motorcycles four months prior to that. So I'd only been riding motorcycles for a year and a half when I started racing. Wow. Kind of so, just jumped in head first. So a bit of a learning curve. <laughs> oh my gosh, absolutely. Have you had a lot of support from your family or your... your yeah, my mom's like kind of come around. It took or? her like a little while. That's great. I mean, I just love the whole women getting into this sport. and, yes. and uh, Not that they haven't been before, but it really seems like it's gathering momentum now, absolutely. doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yes. yeah. So what would you say is like the hardest part of track riding? For somebody so new to motorcycle, riding to then suddenly be on track that must have been so intimidating oh my gosh it was it was so intimidating um the biggest thing i would say was like confidence because i was still kind of learning how to ride a motorcycle and right. then now i'm trying to learn how to ride on a track and i'm trying to learn how to race right um so that was really intimidating and, and learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable you know it's it's okay to be upset i was last last year it's okay to be upset but the biggest thing is like be upset about it cry about it be mad about it but do something about it you can't just sit here and sulk like you're never going to get any faster just crying about it like you got to just keep trying like i'll find one of these girls and i'm like i'm i'm going out behind you i'm, I'm grabbing a toe 
you know, I might only keep up with you for like three turns, but you know, maybe next session out I can keep up with you for four turns. You know, learn something. Every time someone passes you, they're doing something better than you. So figure out what they're doing and then try to do that. That's very interesting. I mean, that is like, that's a, that's a comment on life in general, isn't it? Yes. I mean, really, I mean, this is like, that's amazing. Good for you. Thank I mean, you. respect. I mean, Thank that you. is absolutely awesome. And do you really feel like your riding has got better? Oh my gosh, yes. I'm really excited to get out here and see how I do out here. Uh, here in just a couple minutes. Uh, at Road America last year, I was by far the slowest rider out there. And this year, I shaved off 25 seconds for my time last year. 25 seconds. Right. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. But that's so, great. I mean, that's, that's, that's really great. So you're visibly seeing the improvements. Yes. You're seeing improvements, and it's encouraging you to take it. But now you're probably starting to get expert enough where you're starting to get into more nuances. It's harder now you're starting to get down to, you're only seeing improvements of a second or yes. half a second. Yes. And is that getting harder because you're like, you're not seeing such dramatic improvement? Sometimes it is, and yeah, I'm a little bit harder than myself, but I don't know what it is about when that flag drops for the race. <laughs> it's just on and the, and the red last- red mist comes down. We're all very does. familiar with the red mist. Yeah. It does. In the last two races, I just like out of nowhere shaved off another five seconds and I look at my lap timer and I'm like, hold on, what? Said, another five seconds? Wow, okay. Right. I didn't feel a, like I was going any faster. Adrenaline will do that. Yes. It will, yes. <laughs> Good for you. Yes. That's awesome. And have you found a lot of help and support from Royal Enfield and from oh Freddie? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it says a lot about Freddie that I was the slowest girl and he spent just as much time with me as he did with the fastest girls. Right. Um, that in and of itself just speaks monumentally about his character. Um, and I really appreciated it because sometimes I feel like, you know, like, gosh, like, should I, should I be here? You know? Right. But they have made me feel so welcome. Yeah. And and they allow me to make my mistakes and learn and progress on my on my own terms and encourage me. And they don't get upset with me if I come back in and and I'm a little slower. They're like, hey, you know, like you were two seconds slower this session, but your lap times were consistent. Right. That's what we're looking for. The time will come. Be consistent. Freddie always finds something positive somewhere. Oh my gosh. He's, yes. he's really great. Like and that. he, he gives always the best hugs. <laughs> he does. Yes. I was so upset. And he was like, what can I do for you? What can I do to make this better? And I was like, really? I just want a hug. And he was like, come here, come here. And he gave me the biggest hug and it was all better. And I went out and then I was fine after that. Holly Vary brings a slightly different type of experience to the BTR program. Her experience is riding and racing on vintage motorcycles, specifically Velocette. So she finds that the Royal Enfield Continental GT650 is actually not entirely dissimilar. I've been racing for about six years, but everything that I've done so far has been vintage. Old bikes from the 60s generally, sometimes wow. the 70s. So what sort of size, I mean, sort of Nortons and Triumphs? Um, no, actually, so the bike I started with is a 250 Ducati, a Mach 1, so oh, a 1966 wow. 250 single. Wow. Highly modified, of course. Yeah. And then um, a couple of years of racing that, and um, my crew chief, Gary McCaw, who's a very accomplished racer, who's now in his mid-70s. Okay. We pulled out of, uh, out of his shop... Um, what's called an Allen Taylor Special, which is a 500 Velocet Venom single engine in a Colin Lister frame with all kinds of different bikes put in to make wow. this amazingly fast, 
conglomerate sort of race bike. Wow, that's like a story in itself. It's it's really neat. And Velocent yeah. actually goes way back. So sure. my grandparents had a motorcycle dealership in the 60s and 70s, and they sold Velocet and Yamaha. My father collects Velocets and has some of the rarest ones in existence. My crew chief Gary raced a Velocet at the Isle of Man in the 80s. So there's <laughs> there's there's some really amazing some history, connections yeah. in history. And so now I race this fantastic Velocet um, from again the early 60s. And so I raced that in the 500 um, class. And then um, just at the last race that I had in Canada. I got out on a Honda MT125R, a little two-stroke nice. single, which I've never raced a two-stroke before. That must have been before. a bit of an adaption, I should think, wasn't it? <laughs> to be honest, I was really frightened at first, because I thought, I'm used to racing, you know, four-stroke singles. This is going to feel right. so different. And, and of course, the bike is so light. It's sure. 160, 170 pounds. Um, by turn four, I was I was Felt having the best time of my right. life. Like, more fun than I've ever had on a motorcycle. That's it's great. great. So, so how does the Royal Enfield 650 compare to what you're racing now? It yeah. actually is probably not that different. It's actually some... not. Yeah. Um, so I would say that it's most similar to the Velocet. Um, and in terms of, it's a heavier bike, of course. Sure. Um, and it's a twin versus a single. But in terms of like the power delivery, it's, it's kind of similar in that there's lots of low end torque. And when you roll on the throttle, it's very predictable. Okay. Which is nice. Yeah. Um, it's it's a little bit more effort to move it around perhaps because it's um, because it's a bit of a bigger bike and and higher, but right. overall you know it's the same sort of styling. So I ride this a bit differently. I get off the bike a little bit more to compensate for its weight. Right. But it's the same idea of carrying speed through the turns. Sure. Um, which sure. of course is the key to going fast, but especially with the old bikes when you don't have that incredible amount of horsepower and crack, yes, you gotta carry the speed. So it's, it is kind of like the next logical step up from the Velocet, which is really cool. Right. It doesn't feel entirely different. It's got some pretty it. decent technology on here. I mean, I'm seeing, you know, <laughs> Olin suspension, front and rear. Yep. Serious Brembo braking system on it. Well, it's. When you touch the brakes, you must want to, I want to launch you over the handlebars, <laughs> doesn't it? It's a little different. The Akusato brakes on, on this bike are, are lovely. And, and to be honest, I'm not used to having a disc brake. I'm of, I'm, I'm of course um, drum brakes front and rear on everything I've raced up till right. now. Right. So um, it's very different to, to grab that brake and have such a responsive um, feel to it. Especially, I mean, these brakes will fade after time, but with the drum brake, as yeah. maybe you've experienced, yeah. you know, you could be a few laps in and all of a sudden you got you're nothing. right at the bars. <laughs> it's a little frightening. How on earth are you going to go back? <laughs> well, I, I had my first race back with the vintage bikes um, about three weeks ago. Right. And I'll tell you, Friday practice was pretty unnerving <laughs> because they shake and they twist and the vibration is crazy and everything just feels so unsafe, to be honest with you. <laughs> and I, I'm asking myself, how am I doing this? How and why am I doing this? I, I, it's, it's, but, you know, and then you get used to it again. Never had anything to compare it to. You, that was my You never normal. knew any better. You're like, no, this is I pretty didn't. good. I didn't, exactly. So it was uh, it was just what I did. Okay. But having this taste um, has, has been quite the eye-opener. Right. So other than ruining your vintage racing career, um, 
<laughs> how, how else have you found this? How have you found this series? Are you really? Oh. Have you learned a lot? I mean, are you... oh my gosh, incredible! You know what, Arthur? Here's here's the thing. Um, I'm I'm not going to knock any of the training programs that I did in Canada, but Canada's racing scene is very small in compared course, to the states. Of course, of course we have a shorter yeah. season, we have less population, fewer tracks. It's just not as accessible. So I have done obviously some some training, some race training. But when I came down here and did the program, which was was largely based on the Champ School, right, with Freddie and, and Nick um, and Scott Robert, I honestly felt like I had never been properly taught to ride a motorcycle fast. It was right. mind blowing how yeah. different the the delivery of the information and um, and the key points and, and everything about it. Um, so I would say that. Everything has kind of changed mentally. I feel way more um, confident and I trust in what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. I'm, I'm big into detail and, and I'm an analytical thinker and so knowing why you do something is really important to me. Sure. And I have that information now, which is amazing. Right. And I have that resource too. When sure. something happens, we can ask Freddie, we can ask you know any yeah. of the very accomplished writers around us yeah. for advice yeah. and that's huge. Not all victories happen on the track, of course, and some are smaller victories than others. TJ talks to Nicole Pariso about uh, a small victory that she just had. What have you just done? You just shouted out, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I just put my front wheel back on. There, uh, there's a new way to like finagle it on there without taking the caliber off all the way. So uh, we milled down like a part of the brake pad and if you turn it a certain way it goes on so easy and today's like literally the first day I was able to do it alone and got it on pretty fast so it's pretty proud of myself. <laughs> well I've learned something I didn't know you could mill down your brake pads to make it fit. Yeah well it's just a little corner just to just to bevel it so. Yeah obviously you need those brake pads. Yes absolutely. <laughs> so had you got any mechanical experience prior to this build train race? Uh yeah um so uh, my dad growing up I was always like in the garage with him working on the cars um, I never really got into bikes till I was about 20 and bought my first bike um, but yeah always been mechanically inclined uh, I'm a mechanical pipe designer so I'm always tinkering with stuff like that. <laughs> had you always had it in you that you wanted to race how did you come about applying for a Royal Enfield's build train race? Um, so uh, last year at pit race I saw like uh, the, the class and I was like what is this what's happening I was like why are all these girls out here and uh, Jessica Martin we actually have a small race team outside of Roland Field called Hot Mess Racing that we started and her and I started racing together and she learned about the program and had said something to me and I was like didn't really understand it didn't know what was going on and seeing it firsthand I was like oh my gosh I want to do that so much my ultimate dream right here especially racing next to my be one of my best friends and just doing all this so the training part of the program is not just about riding, it's also about managing the machine, and especially with gearing. Freddie Spencer talks to some of the girls about the kind of gearing that they were running at Brainerd to try and help them carry a little bit more speed in the corners. I would come in turn two, and basically where you can see the, the rumble strips on the right. inside, right. or outside I guess, outside, kind of, yeah. is coming out. I was 
hitting the limiter right, right. there. And you don't want to. And then you still have that long. Exactly. Yeah. Not really super long, but you still yeah. got another couple hundred feet. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, so always, like I said, always remember that's going to affect how much overslowing going in the corner, and it's going to overslow you in the corner. Right, so it's going to limit it's going to limit your rolling speed. Yeah. Right, and you you know you're going to go faster the race. That's the thing, right? If we're running out now. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be sad. <laughs> it's going to be sad. It's going to be frustrating. Yeah. Right, and so I'd rather maybe one, maybe even two teeth. Because I'd rather be overgeared than undergeared. Right. Because, like I said, you it affords you to kind of use more of the track, yeah. carry more speed. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right. Yeah, thank you. Okay. All right. It's clear that every round, every corner, every time they go out on track, the ladies are improving. In that time, they listened to a lot of the what Freddie had to, had to share with them. Yeah, he and just had a little bit of a debrief with three of the ladies over sure, there. And sure, they're, they're listening, they're learning, you know, working hard, and yeah, it shows. It does, they sound hungry for it, they're really positive and asking, you know, absolutely. all the right questions. Absolutely. But of course, no matter how much fun they're having, at the end of the day, it is about racing. It is build, train, race. Sonia Lloyd has been the rider that's given Michaela Moore the biggest run for her money. In fact, Sonia managed to qualify in pole position at Brainerd, and she got the whole shot when the flag dropped. Michaela came past her fairly quickly in turn three and led for the rest of the race. But even so, Sonia's progression has been notable. Well, I really wanted to come out of the gate with a little more fire under me, you know. I wanted to, to start with some quicker lap times than I usually do and build up from there. And I think that really helped me in qualifying. But in the race, I just, once Michaela went by me, I was just pushing way too hard, starting to make mistakes. So started just kind of focusing on my line, keeping it clean and just settling in and, you know, charging as much as I could. Aubrey Crederoli finished fourth at Brainerd and missed out on the podium. Naturally, she was a little disappointed and wanted some more. But as we all know, racing's a bit of a balancing act. Sometimes when it doesn't go your way, you've just got to keep pushing. I felt okay. Um, I could have pushed harder, made a few very costly mistakes. Um, but I mean, it's a learning experience. I, I don't even have a year's worth of race experience right now. so. I mean, do you feel like that every time you come back? Like, oh, could have done a bit more. Oh yeah, always. There's always something to improve on. Um, you know, you've got you got everything Freddie Spencer's taught us here, and then my coach back home with ARA. Um, I mean, we're constantly talking about the fundamentals and what we can improve on. Pick one thing, go out and focus on it. Do you kind of wish you had longer on each track? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, I uh, I suffered a front end tuck into the chicane in morning practice on Friday um, and so that kind of took away some of the track time that I could have experienced but overall I'm happy I'm happy with my run. Of course many of the families are very involved. Michaela Moore's parents are instrumental in her success with their positive attitude. Her dad owns a motorcycle dealership and he and his daughter do regular track days together. He's actually an accomplished rider himself, and his input into Michaela's riding and technical understanding undoubtedly is a big help. We don't, we don't hang out in the corners. No, we're not there at the top and pick up <laughs> dandelions on the track and <laughs> carry along with us to the next no. corner. So, you know, you just got to get in and out the corner and just... That's good. So your dad was saying that you really like your lap time. Are you going to go back to that? It's broken or something, so you didn't have it? Um, you know, probably after this weekend... I think I'm going to maybe not go into the next weekend. I'll probably use it for like practice one and both qualifying, 
maybe the race one, but for race two, probably not, only because um, I use a lap timer for data, you know. I, I need lap timers for data, but it's also like, oh, it's like check mark. Yeah. Did I, did I, did I do that also, series correct? I did because of the green lights. Yeah. And if she's two green lights instead of three green lights, she's like, okay, where do I need to fix yep, it? Sometimes right. she knows already where she yep. needs to fix it. Getting the feel more. Yeah. yeah. Freddie was saying he spoke to you all about using more of the track, and we were yes. watching you. You definitely do use yes. the whole track. I have to because, like, on these bikes, um, I learned, like, you know, if you – if you mess up a corner, you know, it's really hard to gain back momentum and you have to maybe wait until the next lap to get yourself back again. Um, but no, I mean, the bike felt really good. Megan made some adjustments and I felt very confident in what she was telling me and she knew what she was doing, so I definitely trusted her. And then just listening to Matthew Schultz say his inside and give me pointers, it, I was feeling right. To you put, that's that's one heck of a combination. Yeah. yeah. And it showed. Yeah. It's four Dude. seconds faster. That is a lot, to be honest. That's oh, I didn't know it was four seconds. Yeah, that's a lot from your So, what was the lap time? It was 153. I don't know. Yeah, my qualifying was a 157. So, I mean, that's a huge difference. It was 157, and she was like, oh, that's wow. it. I just got to make a gearing change, yeah. and I won't lose. But mostly, get, gearing changes don't yield you four seconds. No, I mean, at least, like, I, do, I figured, you know what, if I made a gearing change, I'll be a second or two. Yeah. I didn't think four seconds. And, you know, being out but that, you did a gearing change with, with the inside. your improvements. Well, yeah, I did the gearing change. I got inside. I yeah. got Megan to do some suspension adjustments. And then I went out there on new tires um, for practice one, qualifying one and two. Those were the same tires. I was from race two from the rear. So they had a lot of laps on them. So yeah. for this race, I just went out on fresh and a lot of things definitely helped. And you made it work. We are winner. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Congratulations. Thank you. Awesome. For Sonia Lloyd's dad, David, it's been a little bit more of a struggle. He's an ex-pro racer himself, and he's a very accomplished tuner. Seeing his daughter start racing was an interesting experience for him, and he's right there at every round to give her support and advice. I've been um, riding motorcycles since I was 14. I turned professional flat track when I was 16. I've had my national numbers through 95, 96, okay. national flat track. Then after that, I. Um, had a couple of babies, stepped away, then we came back. My brother and I built an Aprilia flat track bike. Ended up having Aprilia sponsorship for that and ran their uh, Moto ST series for two years with the Endurance Road Race series. Then we transitioned into the Ducati flat track. So we built Ducatis for flat track and actually we were the first team to beat Harley Davidson in 19 years with a Ducati. Right, um, I remember that. Been fortunate enough to have riders like Larry Pegram and Joe Cobb and right. even Nikki Hayden and Troy Bayless had thrown a leg over our bikes. Yeah. And Sonya followed me to all these races all the time, paid attention and watched. I would never let her race until she was 18, 18 and a half. She came to me and said, I'm doing it with or without you. So, <laughs> you uh, went, oh no, yeah, maybe it's going to have to be with me. I, 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 I tried to not have this happen. <laughs> so I was kind of hoping she'd be really bad at it and get it out of her system, but unfortunately she took to it like a fish to water. Right. She uh, started dirt tracking on a 150 about two years ago. And then she progressed to a 250, my Rotec 670. Then Dale Quarterly actually had met her at a dirt track race and said, hey, you're doing really well considering you've never ridden. Right. I'd like to take you up and try road racing. So we went to a track day in November of last year up at VIR. She didn't even know how to downshift or use a front brake. <laughs> and she rolls by us on the third lap and Dale goes, Jesus, she's flying. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And he goes, she doesn't know what she doesn't know. And she ended up running off the track and tipping over, and then it started to rain. So then after that, we put a 400 Ninja together for her, and she threw a leg over that in March of this year. 
right? So this is her ninth weekend on Blacktop. What was your feeling when she said, Dad, I want to do this BTL program? Actually, she had applied for it the previous year, and uh, Bree, who had been managing it that year, had offered her the dirt track ride because she didn't have any road racing experience. Okay. And we kind of declined on that one. And then um, she went and got some road racing experience and applied this year and got it. So it's good right. for her. It's difficult because I've been a motorcycle tuner for many, many, many years at right. a certain level. And to see her working on the bike with not much experience. Right. It's a little nerve-wracking for me. Right, I'm, trying, I'm sure. But it's also good because it's taught her a ton. I'm proud of her regardless because of everything else she's of done. Course. I'm happy for her, but, you know, at the same time, we all understand what the sport's about. We've all been through right. it, so, but we also know why we do it. Right. It's a difficult thing for people that haven't done it to understand. Sure. Like my wife, <laughs> <laughs> who's incredibly supportive, but still doesn't understand. Right, right. So, have you noticed any real change in Sonia? Any real benefit for her? Oh, there's huge things that come from motorcycle racing that you can use in everyday life. Having right. determination, having to negotiate with people, how to position yourself. Right. It's not just technical, there's a lot of mental ingenuities right. that sure. you have to struggle through. Sure. Um, Has it, it's probably given her a lot more confidence, maybe? She's never lacked that. She's humble, <laughs> but she's she's not. She has no fear of trying new things. She's a very intelligent girl. I mean, she's a bioengineering student, does really right. well. And she's actually a full-time internship with Siemens this summer wow. in their engineering department. So. Wow. so the BTR program under the auspices of Freddie Spencer, Alexandra Catty, and Butch Bolin has proven to be successful this year. Each competitor has their own story, and each individual journey in this series has been interesting to hear about and to watch the progress. The BTR program is ultimately about personal achievement and female empowerment. It's not easy to overcome the multiple challenges of not just racing a motorcycle at speed, but also managing the technical challenges too. Beating a personal best and gaining immense satisfaction is a feel-good thing to see. Of course, we all love to see the speed and fury of motorcycle racing at the MotoGP and Superbike level, but there's something to be said for also appreciating the real-world aspect of this series. Moto America should be applauded for including a class that's a little out of the usual box. By giving this program national exposure, it's able to attract the bigger sponsors and use the platform to help grow interest in motorcycling and the sport in general. The riding improvement from each and every one of them has been interesting. From the seasoned competitor to the absolute novice, the ladies have actually become really very good, smooth riders. As the bikes sweep around the various tracks, there's plenty of knee-down action in the corners and late braking too, and by season's end, there were some really close on-track battles. At the end of the day, we can fall into one of two camps here. We can poke fun, criticize, or even sneer, or we can embrace a program that is aiming and succeeding to make the sport bigger and more welcoming to women who actually want to get involved as riders. From our perspective here at Ultimate Motorcycling, that is a really good thing.